Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic, and we're coming up on one year of me being off the road, which is uh, an amazing thing in itself. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it was the, the second week in March that I stopped. I came home, and uh, all this started for me. So, but that's okay because we've been able to do the webinars, and um, it's just been really great fun and learning and meeting people and seeing people that I wouldn't normally see because they're on the other side of the earth. Um, before we get started with Robin's webinar, I just want to remind everybody, this is week five of our five weeks of Surefoot giveaways because of our fifth anniversary. And so just go to Fans of Space, Fans of Surefoot or the Surefoot Facebook page and enter. And then in week six, we're going to figure out how to let you all know if you've entered all the other five weeks so that you're eligible for the grand prize drawing in week six. So we'll be putting up information about that uh, when we get to the end of this week. So stay tuned. Um, it's been really exciting and it's just, it's so much fun to read about so many people enjoying Surefoot with their horses and the help that it's been. So it's really gratifying to see that all this hard work is paying off for horses and it's fantastic. So today my guest is Robin Larson. She's from Australia, which is why we're broadcasting at six o'clock tonight. And um, we're gonna, I'm gonna let Robin introduce herself. She's a really cool person. And we met uh, a year and a half ago now, right? <laughs> yeah, <something like> that. <laughs> it seems like a long time. <laughs> it feels like forever. It's so weird when you think it's like not forever, but anyway, Robin, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you, Wendy. Okay, so I'm Robin. My business is called Equine Miracle. I've been a therapist for horses for, I think, about 17 years. Um, prior to that, I was a professional rider and trainer and came up through the ranks as a lowly groom and manure picker-upper, as a lot of us did. So I've kind of understood horses um, right from the feet up, really. <laughs> You know, I started as a groom and then moved on into riding. And then um, when I started starting horses for myself as a living is when my perceptions really began to change about horses because I was able to throw out everyone else's ideas and just work with what I wanted to do. Um, and that's also when I became more and more interested. I've always had therapy done on my horses since I was about 15 seen many different things, um, many different people work. I've been lucky um, as a therapist myself um, to be mentored and helped by people like Dr. Ian Bidstrup, uh, Sharon May Davis, um, Ruth from Equinology, etc. So I've had some fantastic people helping me. Um, so that um, as I was starting horses for myself and my own business, I started doing more and more therapy with them and seeing that different ways of working with horses would um, affect the horses' bodies in different ways too. And the connection with Wendy came when um, I was, I'd had a session with a um, chiropractor for myself and she had used wedges underneath me to alter my pelvis. And uh, I thought, why don't we have something like that for horses? <laughs> because pelvic issues were something that was, I was kind of, I could fix them, but only in the short term. And um, the horse's pelvis would kind of return back to where it was. And it was a bit of work um, to get all those structures to let go and release, etc. 
So I came home and I Googled um, wedges to see if I could find something for horses to stand on. And that was when the connection came up with Wendy. And that very night, um, as I was Googling, I emailed Wendy about, okay, I'm going to buy these things. Which ones should I buy? And she must have been sitting at her computer because she emailed me straight back and we had this whole conversation. I ended up buying the whole kit in one go. And, uh, yeah, absolutely never looked back, never regretted it. And now I'm the four wolf in Australia. I should put my pin on. Hey, that's not a pin. Yeah. It's a pin. <laughs> Just to confuse everyone, it needs to come with its own video on how to use it. Apparently. <laughs> it's so my staff, including including Joe, decided that having a regular pin might be dangerous around horses. So they opted yeah. told me to get the mat. So I did, but you know, sometimes changes just it's a great idea, but I even I didn't work out. I, I realized there was a magnet, I stuck it to my fridge. <laughs> So anyway, I'll be, I do wear it now um, when I remember, and I'm very proudly will be wearing it this weekend when I teach my first ever short practitioners clinic. So that's very exciting. All right. Well, and, and what I remember from all that is as soon as you got your pads, you went to that endurance ride through Shahara's uh, and you yes. called me up after that. We Skyped because you were so excited about what you'd seen with the oh, there. Oh gosh, I don't even remember that, but yes. Um, Shazada has been my proving ground for a lot of things, including the, the pads and the, the vet can take because it was a 400-kilometre ride over five days. The horses do um, two legs each day and they need quite a lot of management to get them through. So um, it's, it's a lot of horses I'm looking after. I don't look after them all, but they're in a really high-pressure situation and they come in and you look after them and they go back out again and then they come back in and you get to see did what I do did work or not. And so, yeah, we found at um, Shazada the shorefoot pads definitely seem to have an influence on bringing the horse's heart rate down um, more quickly. And the owners were reporting to me the horses were way more relaxed than they normally would be at that ride. But the other thing was these endurance horses, they wouldn't get off the pads. <laughs> literally like dragging them off no I have that's enough and I have to go and put these under another horse yeah so if Arabians are going to do that uh, well they are pretty smart but yeah yeah I've forgotten about that yeah no I that was because I remember exactly where I was when we called I was actually in Catlett Virginia which is I wasn't home um and I sat in my car and we chatted for about a half an hour and it was really really cool really exciting yeah <laughs> So tonight we've had a slight change of topic. Do you want to kind of, um, in general, mention what we were going to talk about and then what we are going to talk about? Okay, so we were going to talk about um, ECVM or equine complex vertebral malformation, which is something that, uh, well, I've known about for about 17 years since I became a therapist. And Sharon May Davis began, well, she didn't begin her research then. Her research began long before then, but it was really around the time when the research became public. And I have been involved in quite a lot of that research in a hands-on um, and, you know, providing numbers, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's something that has become world known around the world, although not as well known in some countries as others. 
and I feel that there might be a bit of confusion about it. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about things you might see that would make you think that your horse might have a neurological problem or a neck issue. And then if your horse had been diagnosed with ECVM, some of the things that I've seen when I've worked in conjunction with vets that might help the horse um, to be able to do some sort of low level activity. Um, however, I've been told it's not appropriate for me to talk about it at the moment and that's completely fine. Um, I'm not a veterinarian. So we're going to give you a taste of something else instead. <laughs> yeah, and, and so just, just to be clear, um, this is something that you've, you've seen working with Sharon May Davis and there's, there's study going on about it right now and there's research going on and I believe there's a genetic component that people are starting to track, is that right? Yes, so there is a website now, um, ECVM All Breeds and the main reason to start that website was to begin to collate a database of horses that have ECVM because the genetic link has been proven. Um, and that way uh, we can start to track where it is and perhaps do something about reducing the numbers of horses being bred um, with this problem. And also for people who are breeding high performance horses, they, they don't wanna breed them with ECVM. So um, horses that are to be listed on the, the ECVM All Breeds website must be diagnosed first. It can't just be a guess, but that's the idea to start to bring together a database because it does appear to be across a lot of different breeds in the world. Right. And, and of course, you know, there's, it's so important to get a good diagnosis whenever you have a horse that, you know, is showing symptoms of not poor performance or behavior issues that aren't just your typical behavior issues. And we can't emphasize enough the need to make sure that you talk with your vet, have your vet look at your horse and, and work out a diagnosis. Because so many times when people hear about a, something and it comes down the pike, you know, we tend to have this sort of, uh, you know, over exuberance about it and thinking it's mm -hmm. everywhere. And I can remember uh, many, many years ago, this was back in the nineties when I was in going to New Zealand every winter. And, and I would follow from North Island to South Island, this train of the sort of the flavor of the winter. It was my winter there summer, but you know, mm -hmm. all the horses had something similar. And so we tend to kind of latch on when we can't understand something, we kind of latch on to something that might explain it. But without a really good diagnosis, having, you know, x-rays and you evaluate your horse, there, there's a lot of times when there's um, similar patterns, but different causes. And I think Robin- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, years ago, I did an online course, um, I even had them years ago, with Dr. Eleanor Callan. Um, it was about neurological or muscular disorders. Um, and one of the things that I, I learned a lot from that course, but one of the, the big take-home messages for me was that pain can mimic a neurological problem. So, and often if you have a neurological problem, there will be a lot of pain associated with it because of the dysfunction. So it's really incredibly important to get someone who is qualified 
to um, make that differentiate, make that diagnosis for you because otherwise uh, I feel that perhaps a lot of horses that actually have painful conditions and lamenesses are not getting the appropriate treatment because someone thinks it's a neurological problem um, that doesn't, you know, that that's not qualified to give that diagnosis. So it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> important. You know, horses only have so many ways of showing us that they're that something's going on. And unfortunately they can't say it's right here. You know, um, even when we talk to people, we don't always get the, the the honest you know, where it started is the thing you mostly want to know don't you where was the first pain or whatever and often in yeah even in people we can't remember that because there's been this whole cascade of things that have happened and yeah so it's more difficult with the horse and it's it's something that I have actually become very very good at which is peeling back those layers and finding where's our primary cause and and getting um, the horse to the right qualified help if I can't help it, um, but you know that's a whole lifetime with horses. <laughs> yeah, as well as working with some great veterinarians, etc. Yep. So uh, that said, we're going to talk about what tonight. Okay. So <laughs> read the title of my PowerPoint here. I'll just move you over a bit. Releasing tight muscles and fascia. Okay. So I'm just going to look at my monitor. So I'm going to be side on to you guys. All right, well, and, if you go ahead and share your screen, we can see it. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, sure. I forgot we'd stop sharing. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. Um, so I have a group on Facebook and I had a hip replacement last year. So I said to my group, is there anything you would like to know about? And I'll put together something, you know, while I'm off work with my hip replacement. Little did I know how busy I would be with the hip replacement but anyway How's um, it going? Oh, it's fantastic Thanks. thank you oh we're, we're not quite three months afterwards I'm so pleased I had it done I'm so much better than I was unbelievable so yeah don't put it off it it's amazing um so anyway so um one of the questions was about what can we do to release tight muscles in our horses? So if you ask me a question like that, you're never going to get a simple answer, I'm afraid. Um, but this is the PowerPoint I came up with. Now, it does go for a bit longer than Wendy's remit. So I'm going to go through it quickly. And I've got some videos in here which I'm not going to play, um, but you'll be able to look at this webinar on <laughs> Wendy's website and then play those videos or, you know, find the links or you can note them down or whatever and go and look at them for yourself. Um, yeah, we can so, put that in the description if you send me the, the links, I can. Yeah, so I'm happy to answer questions. I think you usually get them in the little chat box. Do you, Wendy, is that yep. how that works? I can monitor the Q&A in the chat if anybody has any questions as we go along and then where it seems appropriate, I'll ask those questions. Cool, okay, so let's go. All right. <laughs> Move. All right. So, I'm not sure that that's. Ah, excuse me, I've marked this up already. No, oh, that was the right one. So, uh, I should be. Um, yeah, but done. No, no. 
Right, so the first thing, if you want to release tight muscles in your horse, you need to understand what is the underlying cause. That's the most important thing to do. Yep, we can all do a bit of massage and we can do other things, but we really need, if your horse keeps getting tight muscles and it's not because, you know, you did an endurance ride yesterday and your horse wasn't fit enough um, or something like that, then you need to find out what is that underlying cause. And as a therapist, you know, I want to make the horse comfortable, but then my next thing is what can we do to stop this happening? Like we need to, to get to the bottom of it. So... From my experience as a therapist and also from working with um, one of Australia's leading equine uh, lameness professors, um, these are the common causes that I've come up with. So laminitis and sore feet, um, I, either or both. You know, obviously, you get the horse will get sore feet if it has laminitis, but I find that painful feet or sore feet is uh, very undernoticed. And a lot of people do not pay it as much credit as they should for causing performance difficulties or behavioural difficulties or discomfort in their horse. And I would challenge you all to, after this presentation, if you're not sure about what I've got to say about that, take your shoes off and go and walk on some stones and just feel what happens to your muscles and your fascia as you do that, and maybe what even happens in your mind, are you starting to get stressed? Um, it's in, incredibly important and I see it over and over again. A lot of owners will say to me, the horse is okay on grass and I watch it walk on grass and it's not okay. Um, so we really need to look after those sore feet and uh, there's lots of things you can do. Obviously there's you know, getting rid of the cause, so the grass or the sugar or whatever, but then um, you can use boots. If you've got a barefoot horse, you can put pads on a short horse. You know, you can use the short foot pads. There's lots of things you can do, but that's like my number one cause of tight muscles. So insulin resistance, um, that needs a veterinary diagnosis, kind of goes along with the laminitis and the sore feet. As a chiria, tying up for PSSM1, um, this is again way, way more common than I think people understand and is a chronic cause of back tightness and um, tightness in the pelvic area of the horse. So when a lot of people hear about azotria, they might think about the horse that's standing rigid in that really stressed position. Um, and you can Google this later, but there's actually much more mild degrees of it, but they're chronic and they keep reoccurring. And um, that chronic reoccurrence of inflammation and discomfort um, leads to some considerably tight muscles and fascia. And uh, in my practice, I see a lot of horses that have been through uh, other hands or other professionals, so to speak, um, and the horse, if, if someone contacts me and they say their horse has a, a chronic lower back problem, um, then I'll ask them what breed it is because PSSM1 or Azotria is more common in particular breeds and also in particular sports. And uh, quite often I will find when I get there that I think the horse has um, PSSM1 or has been tying up. So then we get the bed involved. So Robin, <clears throat> can I ask a question here? Um, 
First of all, what does PSSM stand for? Polysaccharide storage myopathy. And so you have PSSM one and two variants. So there's there's different versions of this? Yes, absolutely. So they used to be put under one umbrella of just PSSM. Um, and, and that's up until fairly recent years, actually. Um, definitely in my time as a therapist, this whole thing has completely changed. So I, I can't go into it, it's quite complicated. Um, but again, um, there are websites and you know places dedicated that you can go and look that are dedicated to PSSM. But it's basically an energy storage problem in the muscular system. And if the horse gets azoturia, then it also can affect the kidneys um, if it's, it's bad enough. It, it used to be called Monday morning disease because what would happen was that like our workhorses, um, a lot of our cart horses and carriage horses might have Sunday off work and they would be in a stable and they wouldn't move and they would be fed the same grain ration that they were fed for the rest of the week. And that would kick off this problem. So then they would start to work on the next day and the horse would just stop and stand still and be rigid. But they didn't understand then what was causing it. So. And is, can you have a horse tie up and not be PSSM? Yes, you can. Okay. So, because yes. I know with the endurance horses, um, that's how I met Dr. Harmon was we had this horse tie up so bad it fell over and the two of us treat, you know, she gave it fluids and I did teamwork and that's how we met. We stood there for several hours, but. Well, a lot of those endurance horses they've since found actually have PSSM1. <laughs> um, but it's not necessarily, it can simply be that the horse, the, like some horses will get, um, will start tying up related to spring grass, particularly mares. And then again, those, you know, race horses that have a day off, don't get out of the stable, still bed the same grain ration. They can still just get that kind of old fashioned Monday morning disease. But the PSSM is in the Arabians to my knowledge. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it, is it... Is it then genetic? Uh, oh, I don't know enough about it. Um, oh, yes, of course it is. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. But, you know, that's, they test the quarter horses for it because it's quite common in quarter horses. So um, I'm pretty sure the American Quarter Horse Association, um, you have your stallions tested and you can, uh, the public can go in and look at those results. So, yes, it is. There is genetic. Of course it is. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on having somebody come on and talk about it. Um, I haven't found the right person just yet. Um, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because it's, you know, it is one of those things that you, you hear about these letters, but you know, I'm trying to learn more about it. So okay. I'm, I'm gonna keep, for those of you listening, I'm gonna keep working on finding a speaker for PSS. So remind me, um, if you send me an email or something, Wendy, I do know a couple of people, um, qualified um, vet scientists that know what they're doing that can talk about it. Oh, yeah. awesome. That'd be awesome. Okay, moving on. Okay. So PSSM2, um, there's a whole lot of variants of those. And in humans, they would be things like muscular dystrophy. So we don't know enough about them yet. That's why they're called variants. Um, the, the better the genetic testing gets, the more that they can find those things. 
but they cause all sorts of strange muscular problems. So it can look like a muscular weakness. It can look like overdeveloped muscles. And um, But again, if a horse has chronic tight muscles and you fixed everything else, it's another thing to think about. Um, and PSSM1, and um, I think there's four or six PSSM2 variants um, can be just um, tested. That's a blood test now. So, you, and you can certainly get those done in the US. Uh, we sent them over to the US from Australia. So, okay. Arthritis and joint degeneration. I find personally, especially in Australia, there's nowhere near enough emphasis um, put onto these problems with horses. And uh, if you have a sore joint, now I've just had a hip replacement, so I know all about sore joints. If you have sore joints, your muscles are going to get so tight and so is your fascial system, just all over the place in all sorts of compensatory patterns um, and they can get so painful. So it's, uh, it, it's really, I'm a great proponent of using things like, you know, joint supplements and talking to your vet about even about joint injections, whatever the vet wants to do. Um, it's, it's so incredibly important. A lot of horses are operating at, at a quite a high pain level out there in my experience. Um, and again, the shorefoot's fantastic for those horses. So performance and sport related issues. So that's things like barrel races, just turning the same way around the barrels or in the same way all the time. Um, or you show jumping horse that is taking off and landing consistently doing the same thing over and over. Um, the, all, all sports will have different related issues, uh, but particularly those sports that do repetitive things, we need to change the way we train, cross train our horses, you know, kind of unwind them if they're mostly going in one direction and the fitting of the gear. So um, an incorrectly fitting fit bridle or brow band, for example, or an in, incorrectly fitting um, tendon boot can cause your horse to be very uncomfortable and become quite tight in the muscles. So it's not just saddles. I think most of us know about saddle fitting these days, um, but we, kind of, we can forget about all the other kind of gear sometimes. Mental and emotional stress. This is a huge one for horses, um, domesticated horses. And again, I think we don't understand just how much um, tightness that can cause in the horse's body. But if you think about your own tightness, like I'm sitting here maybe a little bit stressed about this, so I'm pretty good at talking. Uh, you know, my shoulders are getting a bit tight, so just exaggerate that. Um, and afterwards, you know, I might say to myself, oh, just relax, just let those shoulders go. Um, so if your horse is unhappy in its field or it's stable with its friends, um, you know, all sorts of things, you know, if they're fence walking or exhibiting any other behaviours or even if they're standing around frozen, um, one of the great term that Wendy uses, um, then that mental and emotional stress causes a huge amount of tightness in the horse's body too. And then we have injuries, so they can be acute and the stiffness you get with an acute injury is actually really important and it's protective. It's a protective mechanism and it's very useful to the horse. However, sometimes um, some of that tightness, it just hangs on when we don't need it to anymore. 
Um, so sometimes you need someone to release that for you. And then chronic injuries, so horses that are dealing with some sort of injury that's not really healing, it's going on and on, you'll get tightness. And then scarring. So scarring is another, it's something that I've been fascinated by for many years and having been involved in dissections of horses and I've seen how scars are often like an iceberg. So often with your scar, what we can see on the outside is the tip of this huge structure underneath it often has little tendrils going out everywhere and restricting movement. And as soon as you restrict normal function, um, then other things will start to get tight. So that's my, some of my common causes. Ah, oh, but there's more. Oh, I missed. <laughs> Illness, um, so I'm sure some of you had a cough or a pneumonia or something, you know how tight your chest gets, how sore your back can be um, and how, you know, you, you often have to do exercises to release that even years later if you haven't done so. So the same thing for our horse illnesses and also if they're standing around feeling miserable, feeling unwell. Um, Cushings, um, that can be tested by a vet. That's a blood test. It, it's a bit like growing old early there's actually more to it than that but if a horse has Cushing's um, so they're the ones commonly that don't drop their coat after the winter so they're the ponies and the horses you see walking around with a long shaggy coat in the middle of summer they might have Cushing's that's one of the symptoms of it but it will also cause some very tight muscles if you don't manage it properly. Nutrition, again, often gets missed. We nearly all talk about nutrition, but are we getting it right? Um, I've seen significant changes in soft tissues in horses when nutrition is sorted out. Movement. So excessive movement and restrictive movement can both cause problems for the horses. So excessive movement is the horse that's overtrained or over-exercised um, for their age or their ability um, or their breed even, and also horses are doing things like fence walking or fence running or, you know, they're stressed and they, they can't stand still for very long. They've got to gallop over the other side of the paddock and see what's happening over there. And then, of course, we have our horses that are on restricted movement like these guys here in the stable. So that restricted movement will cause a lot of tightness in the soft tissues. So wasted muscles or atrophied muscles or weakened muscles, muscles that have been damaged and it could be nerve damage or it could be due to some other sort of injury, though the fascia in those areas will be incredibly tight and dried out and um, that will stop that muscle from um, coming back to full health. So that's something to watch out for as well overdeveloped muscles so they're going to be really tight and you need to find out why are they overdeveloped like are they compensating for something um, or are they doing a job that they're not really meant to be doing so they've overgrown themselves dehydrated fascia i see this an incredible amount in australia and of course in the summer more than in the winter because horses just get dehydrated um, especially if they're doing a lot of sport or if they're in a paddock or a field where there's only one water source and maybe only one tree for shade. And, of course, they want to eat 23 hours out of 24 
and they generally get dehydrated and then so does the fascia. But we also see dehydrated fascia due to poor saddle fit, um, injuries and those sorts of things. So if you see little like corrugations along your horse's back or if you run your fingers along the skin of the horse's back and it all wrinkles up in front of your hands like this little wave, um, then that is dehydrated fascia. Um, I was listening to Professor Kevin Hausler talking about the thoracic lumbar spine recently and he was talking about the dehydrated fascia and the wrinkles. I'm like, yes, yeah, someone else, not just me. Um, and dental issues. There's another really big cause of tight muscles. If your horse is uncomfortable in their mouth, then these TMJ joints here that often cause us headaches, mm -hmm. um, they will become really uncomfortable and tight and dysfunctional. And then that connects to the whole rest of the body and can cause all sorts of problems. And I'm sure everyone could add their own little idea to my list. All right, so aim for long-term answers. So if your horse has got chronically tight muscles or fascia, or both, they, they go together, um, you need to aim for those long-term answers. And that means finding the root cause or the causes. So the things I suggest are a veterinary consult um, and they will look, they will want to know, the vet will want to know your observations of your horse. So if you can keep a bit of a diary of what's been happening with your horse for a week or a couple of weeks or a month before the vet comes, when they get tight, what was the weather like? What did you feed the horse? What sort of riding do you do? When do you notice signs of pain in your horse? All those sorts of things. The vet will take a history. They might do a lameness exam. They could do some diagnostic tests, including blood tests or ultrasounds and x-rays. Um, I would involve an expert farrier or barefoot trimmer for an analysis of the feet and gait and to work with the hoof x-rays. Uh, find a well-qualified professional body worker or physiotherapist or whatever you call them in whatever country that you're in. Um, and they should be able to provide you with an analysis of the biomechanics. So that's how your horse is moving and their posture. And they should also give you some feedback on how your horse feels, like where it feels tight or where it feels loose, etc., and help you with some a rehabilitation program and um, these three people should all be working together ideally. A qualified instructor or trainer with expertise in rehabilitation and for assessment of the effects of the training that you're doing. So they'll be able to tell you if the exercises and things you're doing with your horse are appropriate and also for you. So what are your biomechanics like on the horse? Um, are you assisting the horse? Are you causing it to be tight? Um, I saw a fabulous example of that with Wendy in New Zealand. <laughs> Do you remember the endurance horses in the oh, indoor yeah. arena? Yeah. So one of the endurance horses came in and he, I know he, uh, his body work had said he had a chronically sore back and she could never release his back. She would release it, but then as soon as she saw him again a couple of weeks later, it would be the same. And they tried all sorts of things. And then um, this lady came for a lesson with Wendy and the other complaint about the horses that never stood still. It couldn't stand still and would never walk, would jig jog everywhere. And the Wendy explained to the rider that um, every time the rider asked the horse to stop, she was actually hurting her horse's back with the way she was sitting. 
and a couple of really small tweaks, little tweaks of that rider, and you, oh, the horse was amazing. He has to walk around on a loose rein in an indoor arena he'd never been in before, and it was windy and all that. So those things are so important. And that rider was not a heavy rider either. I don't know if you remember it, Wendy, but she was this tiny little super fit lady, but it was just the way that she was sitting was having that big effect on the horse. Um, and a nutritionist. I'm really big on getting people who know what they're talking about with nutrition um, rather than just buying a, a bucket of supplement off the shelf. I have two horses myself. I don't ride them at the moment, but I still have a nutritionist working out their diet um, to assess your diet and give you advice on the specific nutrition that you need for your horse. And also they can help you out if your horse is diagnosed with things like Cushing's or PSSM, um, they can help you out with what is appropriate for that horse, which is really important. And if you're not getting answers and your horse still has problems, keep asking questions. Don't give up. Um, continuing along that theory, qualified saddle bit and bridle fitters to assess and advise on the impact and suitability of your gear. The bit is so important, please get it checked. <laughs> it's really, really important. Um, if you're not using a bit and you're using a halter, make sure it's a comfortable one that's not pressing on, on facial nerves. And if you're using a hackamore, then again, make sure it fits and it's comfortable and, and all those things. Um, so qualified dentist. Um, and for the dental issues, the, it's really handy if you can find a dentist that will actually look at the jaw alignment and look at the whole picture and, you know, not just rasp off a few teeth. Animal communicator, uh, you might not agree with me on that one, but it's something else that I throw out to my owners, um, particularly if we're struggling to find answers with a horse. Sometimes the animal communicator has some fabulous insights. And can I say one thing about that, that, I mean, yeah. I've animal communicators, you know, for a long time. Now, I'm, I don't use them often because I don't need to, but I have used them. And what I always do with their information is I ask myself, does this fit with what I know? So yeah. I think in that case, I use them to verify or give me a direction. Um, and it's been really helpful. And if, it, if you don't feel like it fits, then don't do it. Yeah, you do, that's right. These are only suggestions. But I, again, yeah, I've, Quite often when we've gone down that route or one of my clients has gone down that route, they've, it's been like a light bulb moment. Of course, but why didn't we think of that, you know? Um, so they, it can be really useful. A little funny thing is um, a lady I have a huge respect for that I did a clinic with that's an animal communicator, and I said to her, what is the question that you get most asked to ask the animal? And she said, do they like their name? Oh, that's the most important thing, apparently. Wow. Um, it is important. Do you like your name? Okay. Um, so you might want to get a trainer involved that can help you identify tension and behavioural issues. So um, a trainer as opposed to an instructor, and I'm thinking about people like Mark Rashid, you know, um, that will help you work out what your, where the space your horse is in mentally as well as physically. And yeah, I'm sure you guys all have lots of lots of ideas. 
And, and Robin, just to point them out, you know, some people have a lot of resources available and other people have very few resources available. Yeah. Um, but in this day and age with the internet, it, there's, you can do research, you can do your own research, you can go out and there's so much information available if we just start asking those questions and start searching. And I think that that's uh, what I hear you saying is don't just settle, keep asking questions, do your own research, become the advocate for your horse. And I think that this is the thing that's so important is that instead of feeling that we're, you know, oh, I don't know what's wrong and feeling sort of victimized by it, we have to be the advocate. Um, uh, a good friend of mine, when her husband was dying with cancer, she said, he's the patient and I'm the impatient. <laughs> and, you know, because she kept wanting to know information. And I think that that's, even if you, it's not available for you right then and there, there are things you can do by going on the internet and starting to look and ask. You can't find it if you don't look. Yeah, uh, but just a little caveat there, look at the qualifications of the person that's putting the information up on the internet. Yes, thank you. That's a very important caveat to, to in <laughs> fact, when I met Brad, who's my guy, um, he actually went out and checked out my resume. <laughs> first. <laughs> so. Well, Good on him. Um, yeah, so just look at the qualifications of the people. And um, if you're looking, there's like there are some fabulous Facebook groups with answers too, but look at the, again, the qualifications of the moderators and what's being said. We, we have a group in Australia called Aussie Horse Health and Nutrition. And oh, my hair curls. Does anybody make, puts in answers in, yeah. Um, whereas I have a group and it's moderated by myself and another really smart and well-educated body worker. And so um, we're happy for all sorts of different opinions um, and ideas. And there's often different ways of doing things, but the really crazy stuff or the really bad stuff, well, we shut that down. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, use, yeah. yeah, use moderation in all things. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what else can you do? You, you, in the meantime, we're trying to work out what might be the cause or causes of the tight muscles and fascia. What can you do to help your horse and what can you do on a daily basis? So these are not in any particular order. It's just an order I wrote them up. Um, whatever's comfortable for you. Um, and my motto is always do something. <laughs> you don't do everything. If you just do one thing a day, it's really useful. Remember, I have a business. I own horses. I travel a lot. So... I can't do everything with my horses either. So breathe. Sounds kind of silly <laughs> to some people. It's kind of easy. It's just breathe with your horse. And when you're around your horses, take deep breaths. Encourage them to take deep breaths. Just breathe. And I will go into this a bit more um, through the PowerPoint. Meditate. Horses love it if you meditate with them. So if you're someone that likes meditating or you would like a little challenge to make you meditate, go meditate with your horses. They absolutely love it and it's very relaxing for them. The bladder meridian, um, some of you will have heard of that. It's used in a lot of different therapies. Again, I'll go over that shortly. Fascial release, something you can do with your hands, massage you can do with your own hands. Of course, you can use the shawful pads. They are absolutely fantastic. 
um, just yeah, really, really useful tools. Red light therapy, I'm a big one for using red light therapy. And here I'm putting some tape on a horse that has instability in his stifle joint. So that's going to help release the tight muscles that are holding on to that joint. You can consider changing your horse's living conditions. You can use stretching and mobilisation techniques yourself. So baited stretches or carrot stretches, as they've kind of become known, there are so many studies proving that they work, that they're really helpful. And I've, in the last uh, 12 months, heard three different spinal surgeons, horse spinal surgeons say, if only if only riders would do baited stretches or carrot stretches, we would be doing a lot less surgeries. Wow. So that's, that's, that's yeah, it's really powerful. It's coming from the top. Um, hoof boots had sore feet. Please, we don't want your horse walking around all day in the paddock with sore feet um, or, you know, going down the road for a ride or whatever with sore feet. Increase helpful movement. So if your horse is in a stable and you can't give them more turnout time, take them for nice relaxing walks. Get them moving, you know, get them doing things um, or put them in a bigger field, put them with a friend so they can calm down all those things. Consider postural feeding, which is what my horse is doing here. Um, so this helps to increase core strength and a, a number of, does a number of other things. But if you improve core strength in your horse and back strength, then you'll have a lot less um, tightness in the muscles because they're just stronger. Tellington T-touch method. So that's something Wendy knows a lot about <laughs> and I don't know a lot about, but I love it. It's fantastic. You can buy a book or a video um, and it's really helpful. Masterton method, that's another one where you can buy a book or a video, DVD, showing my age here. <laughs> it's probably booming online now. Um, I don't think so, actually. And you can, e yeah, you yeah. can easily learn those things and, and do be quite effective of doing them yourself. All right, so a bit on the nervous system, and I'm going to go through this really quickly. Um, because as I said, this is a bit of a long presentation. So the sympathetic nervous system, it functions under stress and it's responsible for that fight or flight response. Um, it's, it's actually a little bit more complicated than this and I know that, but just to give you the simplicity of it. Um, so it increases the heart rate, the blood pressure, body temperature, stimulates sweat glands, sends blood to skeletal muscles, Bronchodilation, that's the lungs, um, and I've already said that, blood to the skeletal mus muscles. It decreases digestive activity and blood flow to the ab abdomen. So your horse is going to be in the sympathetic nervous system most likely when it's competing, like the show jumping horse is here, but it might also be stuck in that sympathetic nervous system if it's living somewhere that it doesn't enjoy. And that's why a lot of, uh, like some horses can get reoccurring colics that we don't understand what they're about. It's because they're stuck in this sympathetic uh, nervous system response. And the parasympathetic, that controls vegetative functions, feeding, rest and relaxation. 
It increases digestion and intestinal mobility, so it, you know, it encourages them to poo, etc. Fuel storage, resistance to infection, rest and recuperation. It decreases heart rate, blood temperature, um, body temperature, and blood pressure. So you can see that if your horse spends more time in the parasympathetic space, then their muscles are not going to be as tight. And this is a horse in that parasympathetic state. She's having a lovely yawn um, and starting to relax. So switching your horse into that parasympathetic nervous system, I believe, is the biggest key for releasing their tight muscles and fascia. So once, like apart from finding the cause of the issue, then the next biggest thing is to get them into that PNS, that lovely relaxed state. And my opinion, when I'm talking to owners, that should be the first thing you aim for. And you don't need any specific qualifications to do that. So there are lots of ways. So my favorite is to breathe. <laughs> so slow deep breaths and concentrate on your horse. So put the phone away. Don't worry about what your friends are doing in the arena. Concentrate with your horse. Start to breathe a little slower than your horse. And think about your horse while you're doing it. Think about your horse breathing into their lower back. Think about them breathing into their abdomen. So really filling these spaces with air. Because when you're tense, you take little short breaths and so does your horse. And release the tension as you breathe out. And when you breathe in again, you're filling that balloon inside yourself with love and nurture for your horses. And horses are entrainment breathers. They love to breathe with you. So just helping them to breathe with you is very powerful. Robin, are you familiar with heart math? With? Heart math. No. Heart, uh, okay, I have, I have the next thing for you to check out because heart math is actually the science behind uh, breathing through um, in a in a pattern that creates what they call heart coherence. And they teach this to people who have had heart attacks. Not all heart attack doctors teach this to their patients, but to, um, it, and it entrains, and they've actually done studies where the horse and the person have the monitors on and you watch them uh, basically wind up in the same state of what they call heart coherence. Um, Linda Tellington-Jones' heart hugs are based off a of heart math. So it's so interesting to hear you talk about breathing and breathing with that heartfelt feeling because that's exactly, you'll love heart map. It, that's the name of the book. <laughs> I've written it down. <laughs> made a note. It's awesome. Um, so I'm not going to show you this video because it goes for a few minutes. Um, but Sharon Wilsey, who Wendy has had on um, uh, one of her webinars or more than Several. one, I think. Yeah, we, she was just on on Monday. Yeah, so you can go look at Wendy's webinars and I'm sure you'll learn more about it. But Sharon is, is fabulous with her breathing and I love it where she talks about um, getting the horse to let go of that last rib or that abdomen because exactly what I talk about too. So, um, And then she's just such a cool lady and really smart and great presenter. So there you go. Sharon Wilsey's awesome. So we'll skip over that. 
Um, so next on the list is to meditate. The other thing about breathing is you can do it anywhere at any time with your horse. You don't need any anything. You've you got to breathe anyway. So It's free. <laughs> it's free and easy. So meditating, um, I know it's not for everyone. If you don't want to meditate, go back to breathing. You might find you end up meditating with your horse anyway. There are thousands of ways to meditate. All of them will work with your horse. Obviously, make sure you're safe. Don't go sit in the middle of the paddock with 20 horses and meditate with your eyes closed. Um, so go find a method that, that suits you. And there's lots of horse people that work with meditation. Um, Jenny Pierce is someone who I know very well, and she's in Australia, um, and she's great at teaching people how to meditate with their horses. She's a lovely down-to-earth Aussie, very clever lady. So that's um, just a recommendation of somewhere where you can go for some help. And um, my horses will make me meditate with them. So where I am with Doc at the moment, it's a little feeding yard area. So they live in a, a, a herd paddock. So they come out of there each day to be fed. And... Um, Sometimes when I'm travelling away a lot or I'm really busy, I'm like everyone, I feed them, I brush them, I put their sunscreen on or whatever it is they need doing and then I say, you know, off you go, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I'll open that gate and they just stand there and refuse to move. <laughs> and so I have to stop and breathe and meditate and then they will come over and they'll hang out with me and they'll yawn and sigh and stretch and relax. And um, either I say, um, guys, sorry, really have to go. <laughs> or they'll say, okay, that's enough. And then they'll sort of wake up, shake themselves and walk through the open gate into the paddock. So <laughs> they just love it. And they're Arabian and Arabian cross. So if you're more a hands-on kind of a person, then let's talk about the BM, which is the Bladder Meridian. So I have this picture here for you from um, the, oh, I call them the tall grass, uh, Nancy Zadonis, oh, I can't remember the lady's name, but they're, they're acupressure ladies, they're amazing. And the bladder meridian is a um, traditional Chinese medicine meridian or acupuncture meridian, and this is exactly where it goes on the horse. Um, you can Google. It will treat all kinds of problems in the horse. You just run it really nice and slowly with your hands. I have a video on my Facebook page, Equine Miracle, showing you how to do that. It's also a fantastic thing to do if your horse or your dog is ill or injured or in shock and you need to do something that's going to help them while you wait for help to arrive. It's not going to do any harm. Um, I have a Labrador who's great at getting into all sorts of trouble and illnesses and things and um, the bladder meridian has just helped me so much with him so that's a hands-on kind of a thing um, so make sure if you can do both sides of the horse and just use your hands with an in intent so not too light not like a fly landing on them but just with an intent and go nice and slowly um, the um, in the Masterton method, there's a great video which you can, I'm pretty sure, find for free on YouTube to watch that. So that's 
This one is my video, so we'll skip over that, but you can go and find that on my page. And we did a webinar recently on, on meridians on horses with Kim Bauer. So that would be, oh, cool. if people are interested in that, that'd be a great webinar to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And that video that I took there that I haven't showed you, um, I actually did that last year when we had the terrible bushfires oh, and yeah. a lot of smoke and people were asking me what could they do to help their horse. And I, because the bladder meridian has all sorts of acupuncture points and things on it and it's relaxing, et cetera. That was the idea that I came up for. So that's why the video is there. So fascia release, it's my hands-on favourite. This is my really strong area of expertise. Um, so fascia is your connective tissues. Everything has its own form of fascia and I know Wendy's had webinars on fascia as well. So you can go and look at those. Um, everything has its own fascia right down to cellular level. So right down to a very tiny, tiny level. And fascia affects the soft tissues, organs, circulation, brain, nervous system, and lymph flow. So it has an effect on absolutely everything. It's everywhere and it connects everything. Fascia will tighten in response to being overloaded. So if the horse has postural changes or they have poor horse balance, um, ill-fitting saddle, etc., it's also affected by illness and nutrition and it can become really tight. So I talked about that before, tight and dry, or it can become really mushy. Um, so with my hip, as my hip degenerated, um, the fascia on that side of my lower back and sort of upper thigh, like, oh, it was just horrible to feel it. Um, and fascia will bounce back after muscle therapy and tighten the tissue. So what I mean by that is um, if you've ever had a massage and they've rubbed out a few trigger points and things and they've probably gone a bit hard and then um, you feel kind of good for a day or so and then it all goes to poo again, um, that's, that's the fascial system. So that if you don't treat the fascia in connection with the muscles, then often those muscles will just keep tightening up on you again. So if you don't like confronting gory things, just look away and we'll tell you when to look back. Okay. I'll just kind of squint. Oh, okay. All right. So this is a horse's face. Um, this is under dissection. Um, this horse was euthanized due to health reasons, and then we dissected him. Um, but I just wanted to show here because I see a lot of um, problems created on horses' faces. I was talking about that before, how you bridle, brow band, everything's really important that it must fit correctly. So the horse doesn't actually have much muscle on their head. So these white bits here, this is all fascia. And within the fascia here, that is a nerve on the horse's face. So the only bit of muscle we've taken off here is this little thin muscle here. And over the top of that was the skin. So just to give you an idea, there's this really thin muscle and then you have the fascia with these nerves running through it. So just consider those when you're thinking about your halters, these are nerves running down through here little bit of muscle over the top. And all these white bits, this silvery bit here, <clears throat> the nerves are encased in fascia themselves. 
you know, around the nostrils, all that is fascia. And that's fascia that you can easily see. If you're interested in what live fascia looks at, looks like, there's a fantastic video that was made by Dr. Jean called Gimbo Toe. And it's um, a microscopic video of living fascia in the human arm. And it's not at all gory. You, you wouldn't know it. Um, go and look at that video. I've never had anyone watch it that hasn't been totally and utterly mind blown by the vision. Yeah, it's a really cool video. Amazing. So you can look back now. <laughs> um, so first to thing to remember, don't do this if your horse has an acute injury or a chronic undiagnosed injury. Your horse may be using their tight fascia to hold themselves together. So you don't want to inadvertently undo that problem. But if you've had your horse checked over by a body worker or, um, you know, it's, then fasci fascia release is fantastic. So how do you do it? You just put your hands on the horse, choose a, a tight place on your horse, somewhere that feels hard or resistant or lumpy. Set your phone or watch timer for four minutes, then put it away and stop looking at it. <laughs> place both your hands lightly on or near the place, so just lightly, um, no, no pressure, no squeezing, just resting, just resting. Um, if, if you tighten up, fascial tighten up against you and then it won't release. So make an intention to release any tightened tissue and allow it to return to healthy and normal. So you just think that in your mind. I'm just going to release any tightened tissue here and I'd like it to return to normal and healthy state or whatever floats your boat, anything along those lines. Take some deep breaths, breathe. Imagine water flowing under your hands, ice thawing, fascia releasing, or just keep that intention to release any tightened tissue to the front of your mind. And when your mind drifts off, just bring it back and really concentrate on your horse. Don't look at your friend in the arena. Um, don't worry about what they're gossiping about behind your back. Just concentrate and be with your horse. And that's all it takes. So stay in that place till your alarm goes off um, and you, then you can keep hanging out there if you want. You might see that your horse's head has dropped, that they're taking deep breaths, that they're relaxing. Um, so you can stay there for longer. But when you do take your hands away, take them away very slowly because otherwise if you take them away suddenly, the horse will get a startle response um, and everything will go tight again. Choose another place and repeat. Minimum of four minutes can go for longer. So that's me here working on that gluteal area. And here I'm doing just, if you're going to do this, be really careful. My hand is just resting on the wither and my horse is comfortable with me resting my hand on the wither. If your horse shivers when you put your hand on the wither, then don't rest it there. Um, but this is one of my um, favourite ways um, to release fascia and you're releasing a lot of fascia throughout the body in that area. So it's really cool. Two hands, rest them on the horse, four minutes, rinse and repeat. Easy. So massage, improving mobility. Again, same thing if you've got an acute or chronic undiagnosed injury. Um, they might be using their muscles and their fascia to hold themselves together. So if 
for example, I saw a horse yesterday that's been lame, um, extremely lame in the right front leg for three months and all the muscles along the left side of her neck and down her shoulder were so tight, incredibly tight and comfortable. So you can definitely massage those. You're not going to do any harm, that, those compensatory muscles. Um, but just don't go massaging around an injury area. So you can use your hands or you can go and get yourself a handheld massager like an octopus or a rubber curry comb. That's what I use to massage my horses, the old-fashioned rubber curry comb. <laughs> um, There's lots of electric massages you can buy and you can freestyle with whatever stroke suits you and your horse. Remember to check in. When I ask you a question, Robin, about, you know, like lately on Facebook on my newsfeed, there's been these new... Uh, yeah. electric powered thing and I look at those and it just I run <laughs> run as fast as I can so some horses look at those things and go do it harder yeah. <laughs> um, or run towards it so it depends a bit on the horse definitely so if you're going to spend a lot of money on one of those kind of devices I would try and borrow one and check it out with your horse first or maybe buy a cheaper one and see if they're okay with it. So just like Wendy, there are some horses that won't like them. Um, all horses will like your hands provided you're doing them in a way the horse enjoys. Mm -hmm. And also you get feedback through your hands. But some people have arthritis or, you know, there's lots of reasons why they, they might not want to use their hands. So stay off any bony bits, any of those hard, lumpy, bumpy bits, don't <laughs> massage them. It hurts. It's not yeah. nice. <laughs> Imagine someone massaging over the top of your collarbone. It's really painful. Stay very light. Touch your eyelid and however comfortable, whatever pressure you're comfortable with on that eyelid, that's how you begin. Humans often want us to crack their elbow in, go harder, do it harder. That'll, but horses are not like that. You can, might be able to work up to that sort of pressure, but they won't like it if you start there. Um, and again, if you're starting with some sort of machine or tool, then start with them on a very low setting. Don't poke your fingers in. Again, horses don't like it. And try to do a region of the body each time. So do both sides of the neck or both sides of the hindquarter or both sets of hamstrings, etc. Don't do one side of the neck and not the other one. Um, but you don't have to massage your whole horse either. It just can be really uncomfortable. If you can imagine if someone came and gave this lovely relaxing massage all around this side of your shoulder and neck and then left, it would be really cranky and uncomfortable. I'm really, well, that's different. When I'm doing Feldenkrais, I'll do one side on purpose to get the brain to pay attention, but that's a different deal. It is a different deal, yes. It's very different. Um, and again, same as with the fascial release, never suddenly take your hands away. Here's a little example. I've never used one of these um, thumper verb things, but looked really cool um, and, and easy to use in nice small unit. The picture of me squeezing down the hamstrings. I've got one hand up here, so I'm feeling the horse. Uh, also, I'm keeping contact with the horse at all times and just gently squeezing down those hamstrings. Um, <laughs> and this here, I'm using my knuckles or the back of my hand, just in a wiggling motion. Um, you can knead, you can do anything, just don't poke them. 
And you can see here, this is Morocco. He's a Andalusian stallion, isn't he beautiful? Um, and so, you can see the lean on him. Look how he's leaning in. <laughs> yeah. So that brings up a great question. It's like, how do you know, like when you're doing some massage on your horse, if the horse moves away, should you, you know, I, or does the horse lean in? Like, can we get some clues from the horse about how we're doing? Yeah, it's a great question. And absolutely. So you can see in this picture, Morocco's head has come down. His nostrils are dilated because he's taking those deep, relaxing breaths. He's leaning into me. That means he's enjoying it. If the horse moves away, and they're not just moving away because they got a fright or a fly bit them or something, then you need to change your technique or do um, go to a different place on the horse. So you're looking for the same things you would look for with the sure foot. You're looking for the horse relaxing, so the head dropping, the slow eye blinking, yawning, licking and chewing, sighing, taking deep breaths. All those things tell you you're on the right track. Um, but when you first start out, massaging or doing some fascia release you may not get those responses to start with so as long as your horse is not kicking at you biting at you twitching under your hands moving away or any of those signs that they don't like it then you can uh, keep going <laughs> he's such a beautiful horse yeah all right um and the best massage stroke is the one that's comfortable for you and your horse so effleurage, I give this to people a lot because it's really easy to do. And it's literally just, I'm going a bit fast, I'm just stroking one hand and then the other one. So stroking, and you can do that over the whole horse, down their legs, everywhere, um, wherever they're comfortable. And it shouldn't wear you out either. So kneading, the kitty, you know, the kitty needs you, the cats need you, just a little rolling over, but not pokey fingers like the cat has. Um, so cupping, compression, so that's just using your hand a bit like a cup and just on and off. Um, that's, that's quite a nice one too. Mobilisation, so being a little caterpillar, inching your way along through the tissues, mobilising those tissues. Um, remember, stay off the bony bits, stay light, don't poke and do a region. Oh! So immediately looking side, where did I get that from? <laughs> and notice I've got the new one too. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. <laughs> so, so many of our horses have sore feet or pain in their hooves. And if you relieve that pain, you will release the tight muscles and fascia. And the sure foot is absolutely, gloriously fantastic and amazing at relieving pain in horses' feet, provided you use them as you meant to. So please watch the guides on how, how to use the pads when you buy some. Um, don't make assumptions about your horse. So they will release so much tension from the feet up. And I think in my clients, Wendy, I have about a 50 or 60% uptake of like if clients that actually own short foot pads. Wow. So they, they have me coming to work on their horse and then they use the, the sure foot as well. So as a therapist, I found the sure foot has saved me a lot of work, um, physical work, because I can stand the horses on the pads and a lot of things just release and disappear. So I don't actually physically have to release them. So 
um, as well as relieving pain in the feet, they just um, release things and they put the horse into that parasympathetic nervous system as well, which is so important. Um, yep, trust me, you won't. None of my clients have tried to sell them again on eBay yet. <laughs> Well, and you know, it's so funny you said that because I've had people occasionally ask if there's used pads and there aren't, they're just, you know. Yeah, it's like the red light therapy wraps. You can never buy them secondhand either. People buy them and they, they use it. Um, yeah, so we get increased in circulation in the feet and the limbs. They allow the horse to rest in comfort. And that, again, is incredibly important. Um they initiate that wonderful parasympathetic nervous system when everything is going to relax. They improve balance and reboot lost neural connections. So that's going to help release tight muscles because if your horse's balance improves, then they're not using their muscles to try and keep themselves in balance. Everything is working in a functional way. Um, follow the instructions. Yeah, don't, don't overuse them. So follow the instructions and be fine. Oh, here we go. Oh, how cute. <laughs> so um, you can see that this, this was at a clinic in Queensland. I teach a clinic called Stretch to Strength, um, which does, you know, teaches owners how to do those kind of things. And I take the shore foot pads along. This horse had never seen a shore foot pad before. She's having a first stand on one. Um, but you can see she's starting to, to relax. But also I just love this owner, you know, first time horses, the one foot on the pad, look how relaxed the owner is. You know, that's really helpful for your horse. Your posture and your breathing is really helpful for your horse. This is my horse, Doc. So he's doing some carrot or baited stretches, but with some hay. He's standing on his shawful pads while he's doing them. And his nose is orange because he's got it's dyed with henna as a sunscreen to stop his nose burning. Oh, wow. And that's why his back socks are dyed as well. That's what that is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Th I'm glad you explained that because um, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to figure out if he put his nose into something that was orange. But Yeah. A lot of people think it's turmeric. But yeah. It's, it's henna. The natural hair dye. Um, and it helps, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, especially if you can't be there every day or your horse hates having the sunscreen put on or can't wear a mask to keep the sun off, then the henna hair dye will work for, you know, a week or two before you have to replace it. Wow. Um, yeah, and there I'm forcing him to stand on the shuffle pads. <laughs> <laughs> and he also has... Um, these are Equistream's magnetic bands. So Doc has a bit of arthritis and they also help with some pain relief. And then again, ergo, less tight muscles. And it's just another picture of a horse. Um, again, like he's really relaxing on the pads. He's on stacked pads and you can see the eyes are closed. His face is really soft. There's no tension in his face and you can hardly see a tense line in his body. So, yes, he's a bit overweight, um, mm -hmm. but there is virtually no tension in this horse's body and that's because he's standing on the short ball pad and he's nice and relaxed. So that's pretty cool. Um, 
So red light therapy, you can target it to specific acupoints and there's lots of courses you can do for that. Um, or you can just use it non-specifically on areas that are tight and sore. Um, I think we're running a bit short of time, Wendy, so <laughs> I might just skip over what it actually does. That's um, fine. Maybe, you know, that's, that's something that would be interesting to talk about it another time. Yeah, so, and you can go and Google. There's a lot of scientific research now. It's proven how it works. I think we still don't know the entirety of how it works, but there's plenty of scientific proof. So red light therapy, it's something, um, here we've got um, Devious. He has a red light therapy wrap sitting on his back here. My actual client for the day is Belly, <laughs> this horse. <laughs> um, Devious is retired. So there's a whole story about Devious on the short foot pads, um, which I'm going to tell in my clinic, but he also used to come over and he used to get short foot therapy and red light therapy while I worked on his mate as well. So again, demonstration that parasympathetic nervous system at relaxation, he's yawning, his eyes closed, his head is down, he's really enjoying it. And the red light therapy will also help injuries to heal. Um, reducing stress, it's a key to all body systems. Uh, can be simple changes, can be incredibly powerful. I really urge you to look at your horse's living conditions and training conditions, et cetera, and just see what changes you could make. So offering that opportunity for more movement will usually create more relaxation, um, avoiding repetitive movement, providing another horse or even more than one horse for company. We quite often in Australia, we have a lot of places with small acreage and they buy one horse to be a friend for their horse but it's not actually the horse's friend. <laughs> they don't get along. Um, so sometimes it's handy if you've got two friends for your horse because then you've got a little herd and um, they're often a bit happier that way. And, so, and just to speak about track systems because I know that it can get super involved. I just got some pigtail sticks uh, last summer and yeah. put them in the paddock. And the weird thing is I didn't block off the shed, but the horses used to live in the shed and now they never go in the shed. They are moving and they have to go, I've made it so they have to go into the second field for water. And so then they gallop all the way back around to come to the gate. So at least once or twice a day, they're getting a nice. But yeah. it, it was so little that I did, it made such a huge difference. I was shocked. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. That's incredible, getting them out of that shed. So I don't mind being in a shed for shelter, but not just standing in a they shed. Just standing there day after day after day. <laughs> Yeah, I have lots of clients in Australia that have small acreage and, you know, they build a track and a lot of them have done it like you have with tread-ins or pigtails and some tape around the outside of the, the property and um, giving them access to different paddocks at different times. And the other thing we've seen is the huge changes in the weeds because huh? the horses, they're not allowed that because they're led into different paddocks at different times and they're not stuck in that paddock grazing all the time. Um, yeah, and it's like a kind of a form of cell grazing, I guess. But, you know, and then you can put different things in the track to mimic being out in the wild, you know, logs and rocks and all sorts of stuff. Give them water to play in. Yep. So um, provide... No, is the horses weren't as smart as we thought. <laughs> it took <laughs> four months to figure out how to get 
from the water back around to the gate when we showed up because they try to come direct and they had to go around. But they did finally figure it out. <laughs> uh, well, see, now you're helping them to learn. Yeah, so absolutely. So if nothing else, especially if your horse is, has to be on stall rest or yard rest or something, then providing toys and other stimulus, and that's a whole other topic as well. But just there are so many things you can do, and a lot of them are very inexpensive. Ensuring your horse is not over or under rubbed, that's a really big problem in my country. I see horses that are sleep deprived because their rugs are too tight. They won't that's lay down. Blankets in this country. Yeah, until the rug is taken off, for example. Um, horses that are so hot, they just go and hide in the shade all day and don't move. Oh. Um, and then Horses that normally have a rug on and then they're not rugged and they're freezing. So I find the easiest thing is my horses don't wear rugs and then I don't have to worry about whether they've got the right one on, whether it's fits, whether it's rubbing their shoulders, whether it's, yeah. <laughs> but I can do that. I know not everyone can do that, but I can do that. So it's, it's an easy way. If you're struggling with the whole idea, just don't have a rug. End of story. Um, here's some Icelandic. So I took this picture when I was in Iceland. Um, no shelter, no rugs, um, end of a very, very cold and long winter. I don't agree with them having no shelter from the wind, I must say. Um, but you can see they're in good nick and they've herded together to keep and they've got their bottoms to the wind. So they have natural coping mechanisms as well if we allow them to use them. Um, think yoga, stretch, mobilise and strengthen. So those carrot stretches, yes, they do work. Hillary Clayton is someone that's done a lot of research into that, but they only work if you do them. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you just feed the horse the carrot and go, I'll do the stretches tomorrow. Yeah, they don't work. I've got lots of videos on my page and there's lots of other videos and things out there you can look at. The only thing I will say is don't ever do the one where you bring the horse's nose to their chest. Hopefully you can see that. Yep. So um, there's quite a lot of books and videos and they're telling you to bring the horse's nose to their chest. Never, ever do that. When you do that, you actually have to compress the horse's spinal cord to get it into that position. It's not a natural position for a horse. So don't do that one. If When you bring the horse's nose down um, and between its front legs, make sure you go below the knee. If you go below the knee, you're not going to compress any spinal cord. Good advice. Yes, and it's a real shame that it seems to be accepted to go there. It's you know, biomechanically very wrong. Um, so gentle mobilisation techniques such as rocking. Again, you know, you can Google that spinal rocking. You'll find lots of stuff, and that's a lovely way to help the horse too. Suitable pole work, so working, walking over poles um, is another thing I give my clients to do, but it needs to be appropriate to your horse. So you need to get some advice on what's the right sort of pole work. And I prefer to do it in hand or do it in hand for a long time before I ride the horse over poles, give them the freedom to do it correctly. And if you do all three of those things, some carrot stretches, some gentle mobilisation techniques and some pole work every day, your horse will change and it will improve. And if you strengthen them then and you get everything moving and mobile, then their muscles will be a lot less tight. 
So working them over different terrain, so go on the grass and study the arena, so get them out of the shifting sand, um, not working on really super hard surfaces all the time, just cross training is really useful for tight muscles. Um, and doing different exercises. So I'm sure we've all seen the person that rides the same 20 meter circle in the arena. I've literally timed people. I timed one lady a while ago, she had 25 minutes on the same rain, on the same circle in the arena. And I'm sure she had no idea it was that long. She probably got lost in time trying to make that perfect circle, but it really doesn't help. It just makes your horses so tight and sore. And think about doing some little jumps if you're confident enough and your horse is okay. You know, even Grand Prix dressage horses can do jumping. There <laughs> used to be tests with jumps in them. <laughs> yeah, there are some tests with jumps in them, just maybe not Grand Prix level, but they are there. Um, I've even judged some of those and they can be very exciting. Yeah, I bet. Um, Wading, you know, in water at the beach, try some working equitation. That's a good mix of skills for horses. You know, mix it up, do different things. So this uh, young horse here, this is another one of my clinics. This was her very first time away from home and it's her very first time walking over poles. And I just love this picture and this pony and the owner, Catherine, it's fabulous. Um, so here we have activation, of the muscles in the neck for balance. So this horse's head is not falling down. She's not on the forehand. We've got lovely mobilization of these joints. So she picks up that front leg. We've got nice stabilization muscles activated here. We can see she's activating her core a little bit and she's lifting up a little bit through the back and that's because her head's down. She's not on the forehand and she's actually lifting up. Um, we haven't got a hind leg in the area because in the air because she's walking, but you can see a nice stretch through these muscles and the activating muscles or the, the stabilizing muscles in this limb are being well used. So I love walking over poles. Doesn't have to be anything amazing. Just having a horse walk nicely over poles is a hugely beneficial exercise. Um, hoof boots. So sore feet equals tight muscles, absolutely guaranteed. Guarantee you, guarantee it. <laughs> Got sore feet, gonna have tight muscles. <laughs> Try walking around on some stones. Um, and if you thought that was not that bad, I challenge you to go out there to the next day and walk around on some stones bare feet and then see how your feet feel. Um, so the horse boots do a whole range of things. They're not just for riding. Your horse can wear boots in the paddock as well or the field if they need to. Um, and there are so many different types of boots. Make sure they fit your horse. That's very important. Um, there's lots of advice. Um, and ideally, you would get a professional hoof care provider to fit your boots. But there's lots of online resources, again, for fitting boots. So... Um, so that leads us to helpful movement. And again, it's a really big point. So movement in comfort. So not hobbling, not limping. Um, make sure they're moving in comfort. That's also functional. So they're not dragging their hind toes in the sand as they go around in the circle, for example. That's not functional movement. The more movement, the better. So long as your horse is comfortable and it's okay for their fitness level. 
Hand walking in a pleasant environment can change the world for your horse. I've just, I've had so many clients where we've put them back to just hand walking for a couple of weeks to allow the horse to recover from whatever it is. And at the end of those couple of weeks and I go back, the clients, you know, 90% of them will say to me, I have a much better relationship with my horse now. And we've so enjoyed our walks um, and my horse is, you know, less spooky at things, et cetera. So it's, it's a great exercise. Um, lunging can be helpful if it's done well, but it's very rarely done well. And if you're not drilling it every day. So lunging is an absolute art form. <laughs> sure, Wendy would agree with that one. Like yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Really hard to learn to do properly. You really need someone who's really good with lunging. And, and you have no idea if you're not the one at the end of the lunge line, you have no idea how much, how many steps are happening in a minute. Yeah, yeah true. I haven't thought about that, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it has to be done well. It has to be done with a purpose other than just running around in circles. We have to be looking at balance and shortening and lengthening and moving in and out and all those things. So um, get yourself some training from someone who does it correctly. So more paddock space, paddock time, paddock paradise or track and daily rides that are suitable for your horse's fitness, assuming all the other things are okay, are really gonna help your horse because it's getting them out and getting them moving. So postural feeding, that, um, that's kind of a term that's coming into use now. Again, Sharon May Davis, my friend and our Aussie scientist, has done a lot of work on postural feeding and um, hay high and grazing options and how they help horses so um, there's a video on my Facebook page so I won't go in too much detail but it's not necessarily that hard to do so I showed you a picture right at the start of wishes my mare eating a hay net hanging on the, the yard um, up high and she's standing nice and square so here she is again I took this um, not all that long ago so this is postural feeding. She's got her feet up a little bit higher and she's eating up higher. So we need horses to be eating off the ground, which generally in Australia they do a lot of, but we also need them to be eating at other heights. They're meant to browse on trees and shrubs and, and do other things. And um, by targeting your postural feeding, you can really help strengthen and stretch your horse at the same time. And yes, I know she's fat. <laughs> um, and there's lots of other stuff. So taping, fascial taping, um, you need someone to show you how to do it, but you can do that yourself. You can do lots of things with that. Um, I teach for Tysol in Australia. Tellington touch method, Masterton method. You know, I, I particularly like those because it's really a do no harm. Yeah. Um, kind of ethos and they have books and videos or DVDs and things you can look at. You don't have to necessarily go and do a course. Um, and on the neurological side that we talked about right at the very beginning, um, the T-Touch, they've got a lovely book on neurological rehabilitation. It's not very expensive and I highly recommend it if anyone's yeah. got great thoughts. So over to you and your horse. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> oh, marathon. Wow, we have covered a lot of territory. <laughs> yes, we have. So 
really the idea is give, give you an idea and then you can go and follow up with something if you're interested in it. I do have an owner's online horse bodywork course. Uh, if anyone's interested, they can contact me through my page where you learn the very basics of massage, fascial release, joint mobilisation, all these things that we've been talking about, um, as well as a, a few more things. That's awesome. And, you know, I just love the fact that you, like something as simple as breathing, everybody breathes, <laughs> you know? So it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to require a lot of equipment. It doesn't have to be yeah. something so in depth. Just get started, I think is the message here is just do something, you know, just put your hands on or just stand by your horse and breathe and help them breathe. And then just that, that puts us in that parasympathetic place so that we can then start to become more observant and notice what's going on and see these different things. Because when we're stressed, we can't see them. Right. And that's, and it's really hard if you, you think you've got a problem with your horse and you don't know the answer. It's very hard to not be stressed when you're around your horse. I know, I know what that feels like. And, um, you know, I get a lot of trainee therapists or, you know, therapists that, that would like to learn some more that might come and spend a day or two with me occasionally or therapists that I'm training. Um, and the horse is, don't respond to them particularly well initially and nearly always the key is their breathing so i've just over the years and i was doing this when i was riding and training as well when i go to a horse first thing i do is couple of deep breaths huff them out like just breathe with the horse look at the horse i just stand there and then you know i put a hand on or whatever um and it's taken me years to work out that that's the main thing that's going wrong with these other therapists. Well, and you know, that doesn't surprise me because I've, you know, when, when we're learning something new and we're trying to learn a technique, the tendency yeah. is to tighten, right? To hold our breath, we're concentrating, we're focusing a bit, and then the horses are like, ah. <laughs> and yeah. so, but, but there, there needs to be that moment we, well, we need that moment to kind of like be able to learn it, but we know we've got it when the breathing returns. And I always think like with riders that the, the breathing is going to get held during certain learning processes. And it's when it returns that we know it's really kicking in. Yeah. Right. And then as a, yeah. as a teacher, you can watch your students and you see them. Oh, they're not breathing. Okay. They're still in that phase of trying to figure it out. And then as we become more comfortable, the breathing comes in again you know it's so fascinating i think breathing is something that um what i you know i've seen a lot of riding instructors to yell at their students to breathe and the, what happens is they can't <laughs> yeah. so it's a really fascinating thing and i and i've i've uh i found that if i observe it but you know in my students but without necessarily putting their attention on it but seeing how it shifts it's, it's a really, it's just fascinating. So thank you for bringing that up because it, it is really a fascinating thing. Yeah, it's very powerful. I, and I think too, as a therapist, and as, like I'm, I'm pretty good now. I'm pretty confident now. Well, I'm very confident now, but it took me a lot of years to get there. And I think a lot of our therapists, body workers, et cetera, they're all the same. They desperately want to help you and your horse and they're desperate to do their best and they're, 
you know, worried they mightn't be able to help you. And so, of course, that can create some tension in them. So, yeah, I found that <laughs> breathing is. And yeah. sometimes, too, like when I'm working with a horse and someone's holding it and there's a bit of tension coming down the line. Yeah. I'm like, just breathe. And the, I, the person will look at me and, Matt, I'm like, just breathe. And then you see them. They just go, oh, okay. Yeah. The horse is like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> Well, Robin, uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. My that's night. cool. Uh, hope it's been helpful. And yeah, anyone has any questions, they can jump over to my page at any time and, and uh, yeah, ask me a question. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And uh, um, uh, just let me know how your workshop goes. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> well, yes, I, I'm sure it will be too, but I'm that person who likes to have everything organized before yeah yeah and then i'm good okay all, all right. right bye thanks everybody bye yeah.